0: Luke chapter 4 verses 14 through 21 and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to preach to them, saying, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. And as you do, please bow your heads and pray with me. Our most gracious God, our Father in heaven, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray, amen. There is a book that I read, I can't remember exactly when it was, it's been several years now, but it's a book by Cornelius Plantinga. Um, He is a good Dutchman, as the name Plantinga suggests. Um, He was uh, a teacher at at Kelvin Seminary. Um, I had gone to Kelvin College, and uh, he wrote a book that was called Not the Way That It's Supposed to Be. It's a book about sin and, and this world. And he takes that quote, not the way that it's supposed to be, from a movie. Uh, The movie is called Grand Canyon. It has Danny Glover, Kevin Kline. I think it was in the early 90s that it came out. Um, uh, It is rated R, so uh, I'm not necessarily promoting the movie, but there is a good quote in it um, that, in a sense, relates to our world today. Um, What happens is, is that a man's car breaks down. As he is driving along the road at night. And I think this is uh, one of our greatest fears. That we, our car will break down. And um, what happens is a, a car comes up behind him. And a man gets out. The man happens to have a gun. And he can see um, that uh, this, this man is coming up to, to rob him. Maybe steal his car. Um, uh, maybe do something else. Um, as providence would have it. Uh, the tow truck that he had called for comes up just at the right time. The tow truck driver comes out and uh, he is able to defuse the situation. Uh, he is able to talk to the man with the gun. Uh, he hooks up the car and he is able to, to drive away. Uh, he rescues this man. Um, but in the midst of this conflict, the, the tow truck driver says this. He says, man, this ain't supposed to work like this. I mean, maybe you don't know that yet. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. That guy is supposed to be able to wait in his car without you ripping it off. Everything is supposed to be different than it is. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels that way. That things are not the way that they're supposed to be. But there is good news for us this morning, and not just this morning. There is good news for this world, that because Jesus displayed the gospel, because he preached the good news of God's favor, we experience God's favor today, and we have hope for the future. So as we look at our passage this morning, Luke 4, verses 14 through, through 21, we see that after Jesus' baptism and after his temptations, he begins his preaching circuit, in a sense. His job, his calling, was to preach the good news. And so he begins preaching all over Galilee and People are recognizing him as a great preacher, as a great teacher. Uh, As the the Bible says, um, the report about him is going throughout the, the surrounding country. And he is being glorified by all. He is an impressive individual. And people are understanding that this guy is something special. We know the reason why, obviously, he is the son of God. But as Luke consistently points out in his gospel, Jesus is doing things according to the Spirit. It says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Uh, Everywhere he goes, he is being led and filled by the Holy Spirit. And then he comes to his hometown, to Nazareth. And what happens is, is that on the, uh, on the Sabbath, he is invited to the synagogue. He is invited there to teach, to preach. And the people of the synagogue, they are respecting Jesus as a rabbi, and they invite him to, to come. Uh, they know that this is Jesus who was born there. He was born to Mary and Joseph. And so they invite him to, to come and to, to share with them. And we see here, he reads from the prophet Isaiah, and he stands uh, up as he reads that. And as is customary then, they sit down for teaching. So he sits down and he delivers probably the greatest ever one-line sermon in the history of preaching. He says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's it. Because he's Jesus, that's all he needs to say. Because he is the fulfillment of this scripture. Um, Next week, we're going to look uh, at the reaction to not only that line, but also as he goes on, um, and the reaction of, his, uh, of the people in his hometown. We know that it's not great. Uh, it's not easy, uh, as he will say later, for a prophet in his hometown. And we'll see the reaction to that next week. But this week, what we're going to focus on is the gospel that Jesus proclaims and the fact that he is the fulfillment of this prophecy. See, as he is quoting here from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 2, he is declaring the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, This is a a portion of Isaiah that is referring to the year of Jubilee. Um, If you know anything about Jewish holidays and Jewish traditions, Um, God instituted the year of Jubilee as happening every 50 years. So every seven years, they would have a Sabbath year where you would rest and you would, in, in a sense, enjoy God's presence. Well, the year of Jubilee was like the Sabbath of all Sabbath years. You would not work for an entire year. Imagine that, how nice that would be, for a whole year. You can just spend time with your family, you can travel, not work. Um, all debts would be, uh, they would be canceled. Um, your mortgage, gone. Credit card debt, no problem, wiped out. Um, student loan debt, gone, uh, amazing. Uh, and also, it, as it was in Israel, land was very important to them. So the lands that they had been given at the time of, of going into the promised land would all be returned. If you had had to, to sell it off because you were you know, in dire financial straits, your land would be returned to you. So, in this year of Jubilee, what would happen is the restoration of things back to the way they were supposed to be. Um, this is uh, just an amazing time. We don't know if the Jewish people actually celebrated this during their time. Um, but this is uh, uh, something that God had had instituted um, back then. And so, in Isaiah... He is referring to this year. And the the Jews at this time knew that this was also referring to the Messiah. That the man who would fulfill this prophecy would be the one who they would be waiting for. So Jesus came to Nazareth, to the synagogue. He reads this passage and he comes announcing the good news of God's favor. And for those who are hearing Jesus preach, it means that their hopes and their dreams were coming true. You see, these people had experienced long years of silence from God. It had been 400 years since they had heard anything from God, since there was a prophet who had come. John the Baptist was on the scene and now there is Jesus. In a sense, these people were feeling... Like, like Jesus points out here in Isaiah 61, they were feeling like they were, like they were poor, like they were blind, captive, and oppressed. And they were longing for the day when they would be set free. And so after Jesus reads these verses, they are waiting there with bated breath to hear what they would say. Just because, in the same way, they were dying uh, for, for God to come and to rescue them. And Jesus comes on the the scene to say, the time of rescue has come. So just like the year of Jubilee was a restoration of the way that things were supposed to be, Jesus has come now to make things right. He came to give hope to those who were spiritually poor. He came to free Those who are held captive by sin and by Satan. He came to shine the light of salvation on those who are groping about in the darkness. He came to free those who are oppressed and abused by this world. And so for us today, it means that our hopes and our dreams are fulfilled in Jesus as well. We have good news this morning just like 2,000 years ago, that we are living in the year of God's favor. You see, the gospel that we proclaim, the gospel literally means good news. When we say that we believe the gospel, we believe of something that has already happened. When you watch the nightly news, it's a report of things that have gone on. The gospel that we proclaim is what has already happened in Christ. He has fulfilled this prophecy. He has accomplished salvation for us. Jesus has come. He has already suffered and died for us on the cross. Our sins have been forgiven. They are covered. Salvation has been accomplished. It is done. But I know what you're thinking. Why does it always feel that way? Why does it always feel like these things have been accomplished? Why does it always feel like we are living in the year of the Lord's favor? Why why do sometimes I, I feel like I am poor? And I'm not talking financially here. Um, do you ever feel like you are downtrodden, like you are disadvantaged, desperate, overlooked, helpless, hopeless, like you have nothing to offer? When Raybel was le- reading that list of, of afters, we've all been there. Um, maybe we're there right now. But there is good news for the poor. That even though we have nothing to offer God, even though we feel helpless through Jesus, we have the riches of God's grace and we have His mercy. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 we read, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. We are rich through Christ. But do you ever feel like you're plagued by the guilt of your own sin? Do you ever feel imprisoned by temptations? In our Tuesday morning men's group recently, we read through Romans chapter 7. Do you ever feel like Paul where he says there that the very good that I want to do, I don't do? And for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Do you ever feel that? There is good news for us this morning. That Christ has set us free. As we went through the book of Galatians, freedom is a theme. Galatians 5 verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. In Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, Therefore there is now no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. But do you ever feel like life is just groping about in darkness? Like you are, in a sense spiritually blind, like you can't even see that there might be a proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. Well, there is good news for us this morning in the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. In John 8 verse 12, Jesus proclaims that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in Ephesians 5 verse 8, Paul says, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. But are there times in your life when you feel like you're oppressed? Like you are abused by this world? Well, once again, there is good news that Jesus proclaims to us this morning. John 10, verse 10 says that Jesus Jesus declares that I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And even last week, uh, I quoted this verse where Jesus says, In this world you may have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world." Often we we know this good news, and as Christians we proclaim and we profess this good news. But it's okay to say that, you know what Mike, I don't always feel it. We're living in a special time right now that theologians like to call the already, but the not yet. Yet. The fact that Christ has come. He has already accomplished salvation for us. Our sins have been forgiven. But yet, we still live with our sin and our sin nature. Satan no longer reigns in our hearts, but he still has um, opportunity. We still have sin that remains. You see, Jesus has fulfilled this prophecy in Isaiah. Christ has conquered sin and Satan. The sting of death has been removed. And we can say even now, where, O oh death, is your sting? And we do see glimpses of this even now. You know, life is not as bad as it could be. Lives are being changed. Our lives have been changed by the gospel. The spiritual blind are receiving sight. People are putting their faith and trust in Christ. People are being liberated. But God always has a reason why things are the way that they are. Um, I could be cruel and pick on one of the men on Tuesday morning and ask them to quote Romans 8.28 this morning for us. I won't do that. But we know that it says that, we know that in all things God works... For the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We may not always understand God's purposes, but we know that he is working things out for good. Even the Apostle Paul struggled in this life. uh, We could say, and I don't know if we would do this, but if there was a Mount Rushmore of Christians throughout history, Paul would probably be on it. Um, He was an impressive individual. God used him to spread the gospel, in a sense, throughout the known world at that time. Uh, He wrote 13 books in the New Testament. Um, But God allowed him to have a thorn in the flesh. This thing that he constantly, consistently struggled with. And he asked repeatedly for God to take it away. But God wouldn't. As it says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, In weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we may not always feel like we are experiencing the year of the Lord's favor. But that's okay, because we know the truth. And we always come back to the truth of the gospel. In these times, we don't always have to feel the gospel. We know that it's true. When we feel helpless and desperate and oppressed and frustrated, we need to hold on to the truth Of the gospel. And we need to trust that God is working out all things for good because He is God and He is able to do it. We may not understand God's timetable, why things are happening the way that they are, but we need to trust that His grace is sufficient. Uh, Just this morning, uh, we were reading in a devotional. It's called Thoughts to Make Your Hearts Sing. Uh, it's a devotional by uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, who uh, also wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, this is uh, another devotional for children that I highly recommend. It, it's short and it's sweet. And uh, I'm going to read one of these devotionals for you this morning, because uh, I felt like it um, immediately applied to what we're talking about here. And uh, as you see, the picture is uh, of a man holding a sheep. It's raining. It's raining. Uh, but he's holding the sheep nice and close to him. And this is called close to his heart. Even when the shepherd finds his lost sheep, it still goes rushing all about. And the only way he can round it up is to seize it, hurl it to the ground, bind its legs, and throw it over its shoulders and carry it home. The poor sheep doesn't understand. It thinks, it, it thinks it's being captured, even killed. But the shepherd is saving its life. And sometimes we don't understand what God is doing in our lives either. It may even look like God is hurting you. But you can trust your shepherd who loves you. And he carries you close to his heart. And the verse is Isaiah 40 verse 11 from the New Living Translation saying, He will carry the lamb in his arms holding them close to his heart. Christ is our good shepherd. And even though sometimes it feels like like God is hurting us, he is drawing us close to him. And in reality, he is saving us. And we know that this is true because we can live in hope. I can't imagine what it would be uh, to commit a crime and then to to hear a judge sentence me to life in prison without parole. I can't imagine what that feeling would be like to know that I would be sentenced to this place, and the only way that I would ever hope to leave it is through my own death. Um, In a sense, that is a, a hopeless situation. We do not live as those who have no No, we have all the hope in the world because we know that God will one day set all things right. He has already started and we know that he will complete it in the day when Christ returns. So if we're feeling downtrodden or depressed or abused or frustrated, those things will be a thing of the past. Christ will return and when he does, Satan will be defeated forever forever. And we will reign with Christ forever. It will never end. This morning we have the opportunity to celebrate communion. We we come to the Lord's table. And in communion what we do is, in a sense, we can focus on different aspects uh, of Christ's sacrifice for us. Uh, We can focus on the fact that Christ died for our sins. And as what often happens, what we do is we come to the table in kind of a somber mood. Um, We come recognizing the fact that we are sinners, that there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. And we come, in a sense, with hearts downcast. Um, As we take the elements, we, we bow our heads and we contemplate the fact that we are sinners. And there is nothing wrong with that. That is good for us to contemplate the fact that we are sinners. But we can also come to the table with joy. We can come knowing that Christ, because of his sacrifice, has taken away our sins. That he has set us free from our captivity to Satan and to sin. That he has opened our spiritually blind eyes. And has shown the light of salvation to us. That even though we feel like we are slaves, we have been set free. We can come knowing that this is the year of the Lord's favor. So as we come to the table this morning, yes, we're going to come and we're going to confess our sins. We are going to do that. Because we need to come to the table rightly. But what we're going to do this morning is we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We say that we celebrate the sacrament. It is a joyous occasion. Christ has set us free. So you'll notice a little bit different wording this morning as we partake of the elements. And I'm going to call you to, to realize the joy that we have at Christi- as Christians. That even though it's raining outside and there's probably going to be ice tonight, uh, we have joy. <laughs> because this Literally is the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, for our communion hymn, uh, we're going to be singing what will be our hymn of the month this uh, month. And it's going to be, oh, uh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And as we do, I want to point out one of the verses there. Um, you either have it uh, in your, uh, you had an insert in your bulletin. Also, I would uh, ask you to turn to number 90 in your hymnal. Uh, You can sing from it there. But one of the verses goes like this, where he says, He breaks the power of canceled sin, and he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make even me, even the foulest clean. And his blood availed for me. So let's stand and sing with joy our communion hymn, Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, number 90.